Section 23 of The Broad Highway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Broad Highway by Geoffrey Farnell. Book 2, Chapters 12 and 13. Who comes? This table wobbles, said Charmian. It does, said I, but then I notice that the block is misplaced again. Then why use a block? A book is so clumsy, I began. Or a book. Why not cut down the long legs to match a short one? That is really an excellent idea. Then why didn't you before? Because, to be frank with you, it never occurred to me. I suppose you are better as a blacksmith than as a carpenter, aren't you, Peter? And, seeing I could find no answer worthy of retort, she laughed, and, sitting down, watched me while I took my saw forthwith and shortened the three long legs as she had suggested. Having done which, to our common satisfaction, seeing the moon was rising, we went and sat down on the bench beside the cottage door. And, are you a very good blacksmith? she pursued, turning to regard me, chin in hand. I can swing a hammer or shoe a horse with any smith in Kent, except Black George, and he is the best in all the South Country. And is that a very great achievement, Peter? It is not a despicable one. Are you quite satisfied to be able to shoe horses well, sir? It is far better to be a good blacksmith than a bad poet or an incompetent prime minister. Meaning that you would rather succeed in the little thing than fail in the great? With your permission I will smoke, said I. Surely, she went on, nodding her permission. Surely it is nobler to be a great failure rather than a mean success. Success is very sweet, Charmian, even in the smallest thing. For instance, said I, pointing to the cottage door that stood open beside her, when I built that door and saw it swing on its hinges, I was as proud of it as though it had been. A really good door, interpolated Charmian, instead of a bad one. A bad one, Charmian? It's a very clumsy door, and has neither bolt nor lock. There are no thieves hereabouts, and even if they were, they would not dare to set foot in the hollow after dark. And then, unless one closes it with great care, it sticks very tight. That, obviating the necessity for a latch, is rather to be commended, said I. Besides, it is a very ill-fitting door, Peter. I have seen worse and it will be very draughty in cold weather. A blanket hung across will remedy that. Still, it can hardly be called a very good door, can it, Peter? Here I lighted my pipe without answering. I suppose you make horseshoes much better than you make doors? I puffed at my pipe in silence. You're not angry because I found fault with your door, are you, Peter? Angry, said I. Not in the least. I'm sorry for that. Why sorry? Are you never angry, Peter? Seldom, I hope. I should like to see you so just once. Finding nothing to say in answer to this, I smoked my negro-head pipe and stared at the moon, which was looking down at us through a maze of tree-trunks and branches. Referring to horseshoes, said Charmian at last, are you content to be a blacksmith all your days? Yes, I think I am. Were you never ambitious, then? Ambition is like rain, breaking itself upon what it falls on. At least so Bacon says, and— Oh, bother Bacon! Were you never ambitious, Peter? 
I was a great dreamer. A dreamer! she exclaimed with fine scorn. Are dreamers ever ambitious? Indeed, they are the most truly ambitious, I retorted. Their dreams are so vast, so infinite, so far beyond all puny human strength and capacity, that they, perforce, must remain dreamers always. Epictetus himself— I wish, sighed Charmian, I do wish— What do you wish? That you were not— That I was not— Such a pedant— Pedant? said I, somewhat disconcerted and you have a way of echoing my words that is very irritating. I beg your pardon, said I, feeling much like a chidden schoolboy, and I am sorry you should think me a pedant. And you are so dreadfully precise and serious, she continued. Am I, Charmian? And so very solemn and austere, and so ponderous, and egotistical, and calm. Yes, you are hatefully calm and placid, aren't you, Peter? And after I had smoked thoughtfully a while, I sighed. Yes, I fear I may seem so. Oh, I forgive you. Thank you. Though you needn't be so annoyingly humble about it, said she, and frowned, and even while she frowned, laughed and shook her head. And pray, why do you laugh? Because, oh, Peter, you're such a boy. So you told me once before, said I biting my pipe-stem viciously. Did I, Peter? You also called me a lamb, I remember. At least you suggested it. Did I, Peter? And she began to laugh again, but stopped all at once and rose to her feet. Peter, said she, with a startled note in her voice, don't you hear something? Yes, said I. Someone is coming. Yes. And they're coming this way. Yes. Oh, how can you sit there so quietly? Do you think... She began and stopped, staring into the shadows with wide eyes. I think, said I, knocking the ashes from my pipe and laying it on the bench beside me, that, all things considered, you were wiser to go into the college for a while. No, oh, I couldn't do that. You would be safer, perhaps. I'm not a coward. I shall remain here, of course. But I had rather you went inside. And I much prefer staying where I am. Then I must ask you to go inside, Charmian. No, indeed, my mind is made up. Then I insist, Charmian. Mr. Vibert, she exclaimed, throwing up her head, you forget yourself, I think. I permit no one to order my going and coming, and I obey no man's command. Then I beg of you. And I refuse, sir. My mind is made up. And mine also, said I rising. Why, what, what are you going to do? she cried, retreating as I advanced towards her. I'm going to carry you into the cottage. You would not dare. If you refuse to walk, how else can you get there? said I. Anger, amazement, indignation, all these I saw in her eyes as she faced me, but anger most of all. Ah, oh, you would not dare, she said again, and with a stamp of her foot. Indeed, yes, I nodded, and now her glance wavered beneath me, her head drooped, and, with a strange little sound that was neither a laugh nor a sob, and yet something of each, she turned upon her heel, ran into the cottage, and slammed the door behind her. CHAPTER Thirteen, A PEDDLER IN ARCADIA 
The cottage, as I have said, was entirely hidden from the chance observer by reason of the foliage. Ash, alder, and bramble flourished luxuriantly, growing very thick and high, with here and there a great tree. But upon one side there was a little grassy glade, or clearing rather, some ten yards square, and it was towards this that my eyes were directed, as I reseated myself upon the settle beside the door, and waited the coming of the unknown. Though the shadows were too deep for my eyes to serve me, yet I could follow the newcomer's approach quite easily by the sound he made. Indeed, I was particularly struck by the prodigious rustling of leaves. Whoever it was must be big and bulky, I thought, and clad probably in a long trailing garment. All at once I knew I was observed, for the sounds ceased, and I heard nothing save the distant bark of a dog and the ripple of the brook nearby. I remained there for maybe a full minute, very still. Only my fists clenched themselves as I sat listening and waiting, and that minute was an hour. "'You won't be wanting ever a broom now?' The relief was so sudden and intense that I had much ado to keep from laughing outright. "'You won't be wanting ever a broom now?' inquired the voice again. "'No,' I answered nor yet a fine leather belt with a steel buckle made in Brahmagem as ever was. "'Ah, oh, it's you, is it?' said the peddler, and forthwith gabbing Dick stepped out of the shadows, brooms on shoulder and bulging pack upon his back, a sight of which the leafy tumult of his approach was immediately accounted for. "'So it's you, is it?' he repeated, setting down his brooms and spitting lugubriously at the nearest patch of shadow. "'Yes,' I answered. "'But what brings you here?' I be going to sleep here, my chap. Ah, oh, you don't mind the ghost, then? Oh, Lord, no. There be only two things as I can't abide. Trees as ain't trees is one of them, and women's another. Women? Come, didn't I once tell you I were married? You did. Very well, then. Trees as ain't trees is bad enough, Lord knows. But women's worse. Ah, oh, said the peddler, shaking his head. A sight worse. You see, trees ain't got tongues, leastways not as I've ever heard tell on, and a tree never told a lie, or ate an apple, did it? What do you mean by ate an apple? I means as a tree can't tell a lie or eat an apple, but a woman can tell a lie, which she does, frequent. And as for apples... But, I began, Eve ate an apple, didn't she? The scriptures say so, I nodded. And told a lie afterwards, didn't she? So we are given to understand. Very well, then, said the peddler. There you are. And he turned to spit into the shadow again. What's more, he continued, it were a woman as done me at my birthright. How so? Why, it were Eve as got us drove out of the Garden of Eden, weren't it? If it hadn't been for Eve, I might have been living on milk and honey. Oh, and playing with butterflies instead of being married and peddling these ear brooms. Don't talk to me of women, my chap. I can't abide em. Ugh! Oh. If there's any trouble of it, you may take your Bible oath, as there's a woman about somewheres. There always is. Do you think so? I know so. Ain't I hearing and seeing such all day and every day? There's Black George, for one. What about him? What about him? repeated the peddler. Why, ain't his life been ruined, broke, wore away by one of them eaves? Very well, then. 
"'What do you mean? How has his life been ruined?' "'Ah, oh, the usual way of it. George loves a girl. Girl loves George. Sugar ain't sweeter. Very well, then. Along comes another cove, a strange cove, a cove with nice white hands and soft taking ways. He talks with her, and walks with her, smiles at her, and poor George ain't nowheres. Poor George's cake is dough. Ah, oh, and doughy dough at that. How do you come to know all this?' How should I come to know it but from the man hisself? Dick, says he, baptismal name Richard, but Dick for short. Dick, says he, do you see this ear stick? And he shows me a good stout cudgel cut out of the edge, and very neatly trimmed it were too. Ah, I sees it, George, says I. And you see this one? says he, holding up another as like the first one P to its fellow. I sees that one too, George, says I. Well, says George, one's for him and one's for me. He can take his choice, he says, and when we do meet it's a going to be one or the other of us, he says, and what's more, he looked it. If I have to wait and wait and follow him and follow him, says George, I'll catch him alone one of these fine nights and it'll be man to man. And when did it tell you all this? This morning as ever was. Where did you see him? oh no said the peddler shaking his head not by no manner of means i'm married but i ain't that kind of a cove what do you mean the runners is arter him looking for him high and low and though married i ain't one to give a man away i ain't a friendly cove myself never was and never shall be never had a friend all my days and don't want one but i like black george i pities and i despises him why do you despise him because he carries on so all about an eve why there ain't a woman breathing as is worth a man's troubling his lead over no nor ever will be yet here's black george ready ah oh, and more than willing to get himself hung and all for a wench a eve get himself hanged i repeated yeah hung why ain't he a-waiting and a-waiting to get at this cove this cur with the nice white hands and the taking ways, ain't he a-watching and a-watching to meet him some lonely night, and when he do meet him? The peddler sighed. Well? Why, there'll be bloodshed, blood, quarts of it, buckets on it. Black George'll batter this ere cove's head soft, so sure as I was baptized Richard, he'll lift this cove up in his great strong arms, and he'll throw this cove down, and he'll gore him and stamp him down under his feet, and this cove's blood'll go a-soaking and a-soaking into the grass, somewheres beneath some edge, or in some quiet corner of the woods, and the birds'll perch on this cove's breast, and flutter their wings in the cove's face, cause they'll know as this cove can never do anyone no hurt any war. Ugh! There'll be blood, gallons of it. I hope not, said I. You do, do you? most fervently and cause why cause i happen to be that cove i answered ah oh, said the peddler eyeing me more narrowly you are are ye i am yet you ain't got white hands they were white ones said i and i don't see your ways is soft nor yet taking none the less i am that cove Oh, repeated the peddler, and having turned this intelligence over in his mind, spat thoughtfully into the shadow again. 
You won't be wanting ever broom, I think you said? No, said I. Very well, then, he nodded, and lifting his brooms made towards the cottage door. Where are you going? To sleep in this here empty hut. But it isn't empty. So much the better, nodded the peddler. Good night. And with the words he laid his hand upon the door, but as he did so it opened, and Charmian appeared. The peddler fell back three or four paces, staring with round eyes. "'By goals!' he exclaimed. "'So you're married, then?' Now when he said this I felt suddenly hot all over, even to the very tips of my ears, and for the life of me I could not have looked at Charmian. "'Why, why?' I began, but her smooth, soft voice came to my rescue. "'No, he's not married,' said she. "'Far from it.' "'Not?' said the peddler. So much the better. Marriage ain't love. No, nor love ain't marriage. I'm a married cove myself, so I know what I'm a-saying. If folk do talk and shake their heads over ye, why let them? Only don't, don't go a-spiling things by getting churched. You're a woman, but you're a fine un, a dasher by goals, nice and straight-backed, and round, and plump, if I was this ear cove. No, I know what. Here, I said hastily, here, sell me a broom. The peddler drew a broom from his bundle and passed it to me. "'One shilling and sixpence,' said he, which sum I duly paid over. "'Don't,' he continued, pocketing his money and turning to Charmian, "'don't go spiling things by letting this young cove go a-marrying and a-churching ye. Nobody ever got married as didn't repent it some time or other. And what's more, when marriage comes in at the door, love flies out up the chimbley. And there you are. Now if you loves this young cove, why, very good. If this here young cove loves you, which ain't to be wondered at, so much the better, but don't, don't go a-marrying each other, and, as for the children, come, I'll take a belt, give me a belt, said I, more hastily than before. A belt, said the peddler. A belt, yes. With a fine steel buckle made in, yes, yes, said I. Two shilling and sixpence, said the peddler. When I saw you last time, you offered much the same belt for a shilling, I demurred. Ah, noted the peddler, but bolts is riz. Arfa crowns the price. Take it or leave it. It's getting late, said I, slipping the money into his hand, and I'll wish you a good night. You're in a hurry about it, ain't you? Yes. Ah, to be sure, nodded the fellow, looking from me to Charmian with an evil leer. Early to bed and come, get off said I angrily. What, are you going to turn me away at this time of night? It is not so far to Sissinghurst, said I. But, Lord, I won't disturb you, and there's two rooms, ain't there? There are plenty of comfortable beds to be had at the bull. So you won't give me a night's shelter, eh? No, I answered, greatly annoyed by the fellow's persistence. And you don't want to buy nothing for the young woman, a necklace, or, say, a pair of garters? And here, meeting my eye, he shouldered his brooms hastily and moved off. And after he had gone some dozen yards or so, he paused and turned. Very well, then, he shouted. I hopes as you gets your head knocked off, oh, and gets it knocked off soon. Having said which, he spat up into the air toward me and trudged off. End of Book Two, Chapter Thirteen